Welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, the tabletop RPG discussion and interview podcast. I am your host uh, and world's okayest GM, Mike Daniel. Um, and joining me today, a very special guest, we have Artemis, the uh, GM for Cyberpunk Tales from the Oasis. Artemis, how are you doing today? Hey, it's very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Stoked to uh, to have you here. Um, I've been a fan of y'all's uh, show since it started up here, but in case my listeners, for some godforsaken reason, haven't checked it out, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, about your podcast? Sure. Um, so I'm Artemis, um, the DM producer and current editor uh, for Tales from the Oasis. We're a group of friends who used to play tabletop games and uh, then kind of got a little tired of, of D&D switched over to cyberpunk and one of us said um you know this is pretty fun what if we tried recording this and seeing if anyone else was interested um so we recorded a couple of episodes and started putting them out we started getting some really great reception and have just kind of been doing it ever since so we we uh we play cyberpunk red as our system um but we have mm -hmm. a homebrew city that everything takes place in so it's not happening in night city or any of the other cities it's kind of a more tertiary city that we call the oasis uh, it's based off of a real place that is also in California um, called Oasis. That's right outside of Coachella. Um, nice. And it's a uh, kind of a homebrew style of cyberpunk where we still keep all of the dystopian aspects of it, but it's more um, kind of what I would call like real world dystopian of, of mm -hmm. instead of it being such uh, overbearing like corporations running everything. It's still all of that, except now the corporations are run by like media personalities and figureheads that have... Uh, kind of warped ideas of libertarianism and then attempt to shove that down everyone's throats. Um, so we, <laughs> yeah. we go a lot more political with our with our podcast and I think a lot of the other cyberpunk uh, red campaigns go. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's uh, honestly, that's kind of part and parcel of cyberpunk though. Like the genre itself should be political in my personal opinion. So yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a really great show, really great stories that you guys are, are weaving together uh, on your show. So I'm excited to, uh, to get to chat. Uh, listeners, longtime listeners will know that I'm a big fan of Cyberpunk Red. Uh, we did in our first season, probably like three hours, just kind of breaking down the system and talking about various uh, different uh, inner workings of, of putting it all together and just me just kind of gushing about the system. So uh, yeah, great to get to chat with you, with you here and someone who's running a show using that, uh, that system. So yeah, yeah. it's great. Great to be here. I, I love cyberpunk red, uh, huge fan of the system basically ever since I started reading it. And I mm -hmm. uh, think there are a lot of improvements over 2020 that um, really help make it kind of a more personal and, and gritty system than um, yeah. some of the neon veneer that uh, a lot of people like to think about when they think cyberpunk. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a um, what's the term I'm, I'm wanting to think of, like kind of a vibe or a look that a lot of cyberpunk has, but they kind of miss the street level feel that a lot of the early cyberpunk like novels and stuff got, which I think you all hit on really well and keep it really personal, which is to me kind of core to the cyberpunk uh, genre. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm also just really impressed by the way that you are able to kind of s set up the uh, the scenario, the stories in such a way that the the players have a lot of agency. Like it feels like they're really the ones kind of the driving force for you guys. Um, yeah, so, that's yeah. that's one of the one of the things that I I feel very strongly as a DM of um, as as much as people will kind of want to, there's a bit of a siren song thing of I get to tell my story and then all my mm. friends have to sit there and listen to me talk <laughs> about my story. Right. I, I, I take a very different approach of, you know, I'm gathering together four or five people that are giving up some of their time. And while yes, I'm creating the story for them. It's not about me. It's about mm. them. Mm. And, and I'm kind of more the facilitator of, of their fun rather than like the director of a movie or, or something like that. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I, um, I think I said, uh, you know, a couple uh, weeks ago, a couple episodes ago that uh, I, I like to not be in the driver's seat uh, as the GM, right? Like I'm, right. I'm quote running the game, but like the, the players are the one who are in the driver's seat and driving the car and me as the GM, I'm just kind of figuring out where the map 
goes right they're, yeah right. they're on the road and they're heading somewhere and like here's the stuff that you see and, and what you encounter along the way yeah um, and that's something that works really well with the cyberpunk red system like you said oh, yeah cyberpunk's kind of it's supposed to all be all about like those personal stories like the ground level you know what are people actually living like on the streets mm -hmm. and and how can you mix together that high tech and low life kind of situations um, and, and telling those like really personal stories and making sure that the players always feel like they're they're the ones directing the story, um, mm -hmm. I think is so critical to making sure that cyberpunk works and in other high fantasy things it, it it can be kind of easy to wrap it around like, oh, well, you know, there's this priestess and and these like these all of these like cultists and and mm -hmm. all of these mm -hmm. people and, and they're all doing all of this stuff and like you're helping them do it. But it's but it's really like a story about these other factions that are doing stuff right. and you're doing little tasks. And mm -hmm. in cyberpunk, if you're doing a task for a faction, you're likely being exploited and it will probably blow up in your face. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so it's very well, easy to keep it like personal. Yeah. And if, what do the players want to do right mm -hmm. now? Right. And and at minimum, like the, if you're working for someone and doing some other task, like there is a reason behind that that is personal, right? It's not just, oh, hey, I got this quest. It's I'm doing this so that X is taking place so that Y can then take place, right? I'm trying right. to benefit from this in some way myself beyond, you know, sometimes it's just for credits, right? Like you just need a, a job to make money. That might be a reason, but there are yeah. often a lot of other uh, uh, other factors that come into play uh, with the, the stories as uh, things are unfolding. And it's all the players' um, ambitions or goals that are kind of driving that narrative, right? So, right. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't, <laughs> you can't understate the amount of um, uh, incentive, basically making the characters very broke constantly <laughs> yeah, will drive sure. towards getting them to, to <laughs> oh, seek yeah. out quests and, mm -hmm. and that fun little balance of like, God, I really don't like this person and I don't like this gig and it's going to blow up in my face, but damn it, right. I need some credits right I need now. some serious cash right now and this is going to get that for me. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, so I guess, you know, when it comes to you as the sort of storyteller GM uh, for this, this game, um, you know, how do you prepare for something like that like how do you plan to uh let the the players take the reins what's uh what are some of the core principles or how do you get started i guess with with that uh well so my approach for basically preparing my sessions i recognize after talking to a lot of people is is very different from everybody else's because mm -hmm. i i try not to write you know, a solid story before we end up, we, before we start any of our sessions, mm -hmm. um, because I want the players to kind of feel like they're always in control. A lot of my writing style of like figuring out, um, how all of these, you know, how these scenarios could go or, you know, what would be interesting. It, it's, it's a, a bit of a mixture of trying to come up with what I feel like are the reasonable outcomes that they could mm. possibly go for. Like what, mm -hmm. what is the, probably the most likely thing they're going to do? What's the, uh, this wouldn't be a good idea. And then, if they're feeling particularly bold at the time, what's the worst thing they could possibly do? And 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 yeah. coming up with just like the barest bones of if everything goes well, then this mm -hmm. is probably what's going to happen. If everything goes poorly, this will happen. And and um, so whenever you know designing a mission like that, that's where I kind of come into it of, of like this is best case scenario, and then these are like the six or seven different check boxes that I'm looking for of like okay, well like did okay. you get seen? Like, mm. did, you know, did you get it without like having to, to shed any blood, uh, you know, right. or, or were the cops called? Things like that. Um, but then a lot of it is basically just reacting to the players and figuring mm. out what they're what they're doing and what they're they seem to be interested in. And then finding ways to sort of uh, not necessarily manipulate, but kind of like. Uh, nudge the story in directions that mm -hmm. uh, are interesting from a narrative perspective, making sure that you've got like the rise and fall in a, uh, uh, an interest curve. You don't want it to be right. you know, all action all the time. You've got to have a little bit of downtime. Mm -hmm. um, and so coming up with basically like a, a set of situations that the players could come into and then freestyling it a little bit and, and seeing like, <laughs> okay, do they seem like they're a little tired after this? Maybe we just we put that one aside and we we let them we let them go off to bed and tonight will be the first night they've had a nice sleep or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of impro imp improvisation and not very much preparation. Um, and in terms of like preparing the actual stories, now mm -hmm. the the one thing I will say in the side of the preparation, it's not like I don't do any of it. My right, preparation right. mostly comes from like writing the the characters, the places, the um, 
uh, like uh, events that are happening that don't have anything to do with the player and writing those out mm-hmm. first right. um, and making sure that I've got this gigantic library of in the Oasis. Uh, if, you know, if there is a, a media that is causing trouble down here, then I know probably who that media is, or I can like look up some of my notes and be like, oh, well, they probably belong to like one of these three media factions mm-hmm. or they're an independent and they're, you know, underneath the second subsection, but, but having a lot of this stuff prepared. So I'm not sitting there thinking like, uh, the, the, his, his name's Bob. Uh, he looks really, <laughs> right. uh, generic. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. Bob Generickson. Um, <laughs> And, and making sure that I've got enough of these things that whenever I'm trying to improvise, um, I've got lots of other content that I can pull back from, but mm-hmm. making sure that I'm not writing it out beforehand so that there's room for that improvisation. Yeah, absolutely. I, you, you touched on a lot of things, so I want to kind, kind yeah. of take it piece by piece and pick it apart a little bit. Um, sure. I think one of the things that, that I do a lot of as well and some of my best advice for uh, GMs that are kind of wanting to have lower prep sessions and and you you touched on this as well is just kind of like knowing what's going on in the world so whether you're making it up whether you're learning the lore of the setting that you're you're running in like a published setting or whatever um just having a solid idea about the sort of different factions that exist what their goals are and what steps they're taking to try and achieve those goals um and and then you know, how the party interacts or what their when their actions uh, start influencing those decisions that are being made as well. Um, yeah. And if they if they choose to interact. It, yeah. As well. Like that. that's, yeah. that's a very important thing. There have been <laughs> quite sure. a few times where I I drop this what I think is an interesting story hook and they're like, yeah, yeah. I don't really care. I'm really looking yeah. for that new gun. <laughs> like, oh, OK. All right. Yeah. Cool. I guess I'll just happen. throw this out the the window where we'll see what happens <laughs> if you guys don't go and you know interact with that what uh, right. what happened there uh, the consequences of those actions of inaction essentially yeah um, so like the thing you were saying actually about the um uh, about like making sure you know what's going on in the world that reminded mm-hmm. me of one of the the tricks and techniques that i tell people uh gms that are, are just getting started off or even experienced ones that are looking to make their world feel a lot more fleshed out and and co- sort of like reactive to what the players are doing or, or mm-hmm. that they're always something going on is a, a, a technique or rule called there's never not anything going on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is basically like if your player wants to go down to, you know, using the cyberpunk example, uh, mm-hmm. wants to go down to one of the fancy upscale clothing places and, right. you know, get, get some cool new boots. When they walk into, you know, Harrelson's upscale boots or something like that, <laughs> there is always something going on. There's mm-hmm. never, it's, mm-hmm. it's never a boring day in anywhere. And right. when they walk in, like the, the person's either in an argument with somebody or they're talking to someone mm-hmm. or processing mm-hmm. a refund or, you know, having to deal with the fact that there's a shipment coming in, but there's several, lots of different people there. Maybe they're having a sale. It, it yeah, it's something right. that, that, that you touched on that I, I, I really like pulling in of that idea of um, make sure that there's always something going on in the world and mm-hmm. getting that idea of what is going on in the world that so you can kind of breadcrumb that in like here and there yes. uh, really <laughs> brings out this interesting feeling of like the world is alive and everything's constantly moving regardless of whether or not I choose to interact with it or not. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's uh, really important for GMs to keep in mind is it, these can be ways also to uh, not just make the setting feel alive, but to tell your story as well, right? If they're going down to find a new nice new pair of boots and they get to the boot shop, this upscale boot shop. And, oh, there's a delay uh, in our delivery or we're low on stock. We don't have what you're looking for. Sorry. Um, but we know that we should have gotten a shipment in last night and we don't know what happened to our boots. So, yeah, somebody go check out the <laughs> story hook right yeah, there. Exactly. Right. Like, and then they can... get to they can choose whether or not they want to do it or be like, eh, I'll yeah, just come back tomorrow. Yeah, we'll find the other, we'll find the boots later. Yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think just uh, having, having movement in the world outside of the, uh, the players is super vital and kind of knowing what the, the, who the players are. I, I use that term too often. So not the player characters, but like the, the world scale players, right? Like yeah. Who those factions are, what they're doing. Yeah how they're interacting with each other and how they're interacting with the players or not interacting with the players. Um, I also, as we were, as I was sitting down to like 
put together notes for this episode. I, I felt, you know, like maybe I don't need to do too much, right? We're trying to talk about how, how do we do low prep? <laughs> so, but I did come up with something that I thought was really neat and just kind of surmised uh, my concept for how I go about prepping a lot is I focus on the three C's, which are uh, conflicts, complications, and confrontations. Uh, conflicts basically are just problems that exist in the world usually to be solved by someone, possibly the players, uh, but mm. maybe not, as we discussed. And then the complications are what make those problems more difficult. So right. we're trying to get new boots because our our uh, soles are worn out and uh, go to the boot shop and, oh, there's a missing delivery. Well, let's go check on it. Well, it turns out now that this uh, gang of nomads has taken over the the uh the supply lines and they're holding up the uh the boots and trying to extort them and get more money to, to come in so the players have to figure out what to do and that ultimately develops into some sort of confrontation you know might be exchanging gunfire it might be talking it out like but there are basically the problem comes to a head and gets resolved so that kind yeah. of follows that that arc mm -hmm. and uh yeah, and then I just kind of let the players figure out <laughs> what they're going to do with all of those pieces in front of them, right? So yeah. it's uh, and and I think that that concept can kind of be scaled to size as needed, right? You, you we talk about building the world or understanding the world, like those things are all taking place inside of um, those factions and and their uh, their goals as well. And the players ultimately are going to run into some sort of, you know, conflict with that. If I've got a story that I'm kind of weaving, that's got these these key uh, key factions that the the players are, are going to be potentially interacting with, um, I have those three C's sprinkled in throughout all of that as well. So. Yeah, that makes sense. It uh, it sounds very very similar to the like the interest curve that I'm talking about of of, <laughs> of like it start your your the energy and the interest of what's going on. Like it's not particularly interesting at the start, but then they mm -hmm. discover this conflict or like oh I need to solve this problem, need to get those boots, right. and then it, it ramps up as they find out that oh there are complications. These boots have been taken by these nomads, and then there's <laughs> right. like the conflict, the fight, and then the resolution of like all right now we just have to you know get it all done, get that money in and you know probably have to argue to make sure we get paid the right amount uh, <laughs> right things like at that. least get it is cyberpunk out of the deal so right yeah totally. <laughs> that would be the minimum you got to get the free boots yeah for sure go through all of that trouble and they don't give you boots come on right and uh, give you a 20 percent discount <laughs> uh yeah that that seems more likely it's like oh well i got to make some money off of this that's that's the cyberpunk way <laughs> yeah uh, for sure um, but yeah, so I guess, uh, tell me a little bit about your, um, your, your take or how you approach keeping things at the street level and keeping things personal. I know the, the players are kind of in the driver's seat, but what are some ways that you try to, um, or that you go about making sure that the, the story feels close to home? Um, so Let's see. Uh, I have a, I have a couple of methods for doing this. One of the ones that I have is I I use uh, Trello to keep all of my notes organized, which okay. you know it's mm -hmm. a, a project management tool that has a bunch of cards, very easily searchable. You can link them to each other, which is great. So I can make nice. a card for like this is uh, the name of a nightclub, like this is the nightclub, and it's owned by this person. But then I can make that like link for that person, link to the actual like card that I have that describes the personality and the look for them. Um, okay. so I, I, I use that as my organization tool, but one of the columns that I have in there is basically session check-ins, okay. which are things of every session, something should happen in this. And mm -hmm. it'll be something like, uh, in, so this, I don't even think it's a spoiler because, uh, Mavis has had meta for a little while, but, uh, meta becomes Mavis's pet and, you know, pet okay. rat. Mm -hmm. Players love having their pets. Of course. Um, so one of the session check-ins that I made that I made sure to have is every session there was a check-in of like, so where is Meta and what is Meta doing like, you know, mm -hmm. lately, um, and and it it helped because basically every time they went back to the apartment complex, you know, it'd be like, oh, you know, you go to your room, you go to your room, and Mavis, you mm -hmm. walk in and uh, Meta's not there. You see a small hole in the side of the wall, and it looks mm -hmm. like it might have gone out. And suddenly, mm -hmm. like it's a thing of like. I can't go to sleep until I find Meta. Damn it! <laughs> right. Um, or, or yeah, or yeah, or other things of like if mm -hmm. um, 
one of the players that, you know, ends up pissing off somebody who's uh, high up in some organization, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. maybe not every session, but every session or two, something will happen that kind of that, that reminds or, or, or brings that back up in the player's head of this complication wouldn't have arised if this situation either hadn't occurred or if mm-hmm. you'd taken care of it. Right. Um, and so just just base level things that the players are trying to do will have these little complications that I throw in to that kind of like remind them like there's no easy path through anything in cyberpunk. Everything is complicated, more difficult than it appears, and you're going to get paid less than you thought. Uh, and so making sure that there's reasons that are associated with each player for why are you getting screwed over at this point? <laughs> or like, why are you not getting to do the thing you want to do? Yeah. Makes it feel like they're they're like they're really struggling themselves mm-hmm. against a system that is like stack the deck against them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it doesn't feel like it's like a, a versus me as a DM. It feels more of like, a, oh well, yeah. I mean, I adopted that rat, so of course I got to take care of him. Or oh mm-hmm. yeah, I punched that mob guy. Like of right. course I'm going to start seeing people hanging out outside my apartment building. I better do something about that before it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, so it, those are those are two of the methods that I use. Of basically, like having a list of the the things that we check in every session, um, and then kind of and throwing those in every time that there's a bit of a complication. Uh, the other thing that I do to keep it street level that we that we kind of talked about a little bit before is that idea of uh, there's always something going on. Mm-hmm. And and making sure that like every time the player not just goes somewhere, but if they call up. Um, like they call up their friend Nico. Uh, yeah. It's never like Nico's never just sitting there on the balcony. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I can talk. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not busy. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm chilling. He, yeah, what's yeah, up? He, yeah. he picks up and he's like, what? I'm in the middle of something. And then you hear a baseball bat slam into something on the other side of the phone. <laughs> and you're like, what the Ooh, hell is he? Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it feels like, like, yeah, like, oh God, now I, I feel like I should be worried. Like, am I mm-hmm. interrupting it? Is this thing really right. so important? I need to interrupt what seems like a torture session? Uh, and and it, it helps drive kind of those emotions of, of the players feeling like they are small cogs in a, in a large, uncaring machine that would rather spit them out than, a, than give them a promotion. Uh, as is the cyberpunk way, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> This is the way. Um, yeah, no, a lot of, a lot of really great, uh, great advice there. I definitely do kind of a, a similar thing with uh, my, my own prep is, I have uh, just like one sheet that's set aside on my my screen that uh, it's just like, here are a list of bullet points of things that could potentially happen in this upcoming session. Like I'm, I've got, you know, these couple NPCs that the party might interact with that are kind of ongoing so I can check in with them. I've got this story beat that I want to make sure it comes up or, um, you know, there are, I, I talk about my, my Eberron game a lot and it's oddly Eberron and cyberpunk have a lot of crossover, uh, which I, I really have, have mm. enjoyed, but um, as far as like themes anyway, but I have a lot of like kind of long running stories that are going through the campaign and things that I have foreshadowed with certain players. And uh, I just occasionally will check back in with them and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So our, our cleric needs to be reminded that somebody's watching him. So Hey, uh, roll me a perception check real quick. And uh, oh yeah, you see this uh, eye in the sky uh, tracking you as you're, you're going along. And um, yeah, just kind of those those like check-ins, like you said, of here are the big pieces that are, are in play. And uh, here's on this one small sheet, here are a couple of things that I need to remind myself of to, to bring that up and throw at the players uh, to remind them of their own actions and the consequences of those. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I often like bringing things up to players long after they have like passed through that, <laughs> that yeah. spot. Like, Oh yeah. You remember how way back, like several sessions ago, this thing happened. Well, turns out that there are uh, some repercussions from that. So uh, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> yeah. Always a great yeah. time. I, I, that is, that is another one of those things that I say, like GMs need to get very comfortable with putting that in their toolkit mm-hmm. of, of just like something happens and you don't have to immediately show a, a response to it by the mm-hmm. world, just write it down, 
and then two sessions later, you know, that you can always use that fun thing. They look oddly familiar, or mm, this reminds mm-hmm. you of something. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just a couple weeks back, you remember that goblin, like like those sorts of things that <laughs> that that yeah. get the players to to like really start trying to develop these long term memories as their characters, so that they're not sitting there being like. Mm-hmm. Uh, wisdom check. Can I remember? Like maybe, <laughs> right? Uh, and and making sure that yeah, that they that they are getting uh getting what they getting that the that their actions are going to have consequences, and it, it wraps mm-hmm. in kind of like mm-hmm. with the thing we were talking about earlier of if there's if there's always something going on everywhere the players go, then when they do ignore something, they feel totally fine ignoring it because it's mm-hmm. like. This isn't a, oh, the GM's not trying to like lead me here. I'm not being led on a leash through this Mm -hmm. set of set pieces. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to do this thing. And it's just like some random crap that's going on. I don't really feel like it. But if they don't deal with it, maybe two weeks later, suddenly like there are no more boots in the Oasis. Mm -hmm. And people are starting to like fight and get robbed for their boots. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it becomes this thing of they think like, God, like if two weeks ago we had gone in there, they wouldn't have had all this time to build mm-hmm. up this big fortress. Yeah, we really <laughs> right. should have done it. But but it's a thing of like there's there's so many different crumbs that you can throw at them right. that they have to ignore some of them. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you can just write it down and bring yep. it back a little bit later. And it, and it always feels personal and like, oh, we should have done something, but we didn't. And now we're reaping what we sowed. And... <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. So G- GMs out there, when your players ignore a plot hook, make sure it, it bites them in the ass later on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or yeah, make, make sure it bites them in the ass in some way or or it's at least referenced of like, yeah, mm-hmm. you didn't you weren't here. You didn't do the thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, things turned out yeah. a way that you may not like. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> when, when I was playing through the uh, Descent to Avernus campaign uh, a couple of years back, um, actually, right before COVID happened, in fact, um, or as as it was uh, kicking off, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, the party was down in hell, and there are a lot of things going on in in Avernus uh, that are bad. And uh, they, as they were on their like their their car, their war machine, traversing across the wasteland, they happened to see a volcano that was getting attacked by. Um, this like big flying winged devil was like hurling fire at a fortress that was in the volcano. And they were like, we're just going to ignore that and keep on driving. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, it turns out that that devil was someone else that they had interacted with previously and released from uh, a prison. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, you, you, you recognize this guy as you're, you're going off. You, you actually, he looks a little familiar. Remember that, <laughs> that uh, guy that was hanging out in the chasm a couple sessions back that you released from his prison. Yeah. Well now he's uh, fighting this other arch fiend in, in Avernus and that's uh, all there because of you. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I we had a we had a story in one of our early, you know, I, I won't I won't take too long reminiscing about the old the old Please. days and the old stories. I uh, um, I, I love story time, so feel free. <laughs> there one of uh, one of my favorite examples of like that, you know, oh we made a mistake and now it's bit us in the ass way later than we thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, was an early homebrewed five E campaign where one of the players was playing uh bernard sanders who we affectionately nicknamed <laughs> necromancer bernie sanders okay he's a local politician whose whole mm-hmm. thing was he was like we should raise the dead and put them to work so that the regular people <laughs> don't have to go to work yeah, and talked great. exactly like bernie sanders was great yeah <clears throat> um and was was played by one of the player characters and introduced basically as like oh i want to hire you guys to go and help me grab the spell book that is buried underneath in like this old tomb Mm. Uh, so they go and grab the spell book and they end up finding out that the spell book is in the heart of uh, the lair of like this old necromancer who just mysteriously disappeared and uh, they get into a fight and then, you know, they're at low levels. So it's, it's, they, they, they're thinking it's a lich, but they're mm. still very new to the kid, like D and D and didn't really realize like, if this was a lich, you guys would be dead. Yeah. You'd be dead. <laughs> you'd be so dead. <laughs> you'd have been dead before you walked in. Um, yeah. But it, the, the story of it basically was like, this was a lich who um, messed up the process of becoming a lich. And so it was kind of like uh, a, okay. a warped demi lich if, mm-hmm. if at all. Uh, and so they ended up killing this, like, you know, challenge rating five or six, like warped demi lich. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, sharing the same characteristics as a lich 
uh, was able, the Demi Litz was able to revive, you know, in or nearby his phylactery in about a week. Okay, um, yeah. But not knowing anything about liches, they gathered up <laughs> as many things as they could possibly mm-hmm. find, mm-hmm. shoved them mm-hmm. into a bag, brought them back, and then stuck them in Bernard Sanders' house and forgot about <laughs> it for a week. And, <laughs> and so oh, this Demi Lich okay. ends up like a week later, and they they you know, they were off doing something else, like for the town guard or something, like chase mm-hmm. down these kids that keep stealing something, something. And then, you know, they they capture them and like they shove the kid to the ground and the kid's like trying to stab him or something. And 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 I'm like, and then behind you, you hear an explosion and you look around and there's a, a mushroom cloud that has like the shape of a skull emerging from the place that looks like Bernard Sanders' house. Yeah. And, and they're like, what the hell? And mm-hmm. they go over there and, and you know, are, are running up to see what happened. And they see mm-hmm. the Demi-Lich and they're like, how could this possibly have happened? <laughs> well, we killed this guy. We killed him. Yeah. And, and, and so they, they decided, you know what? Don't want to get in a fight with him. He's like murdering people left and right and then raising them. Like, this is going to be a snap. whole thing. Yeah. How about we just forget this city and we'll just move down the coast to uh, oh, no. 20 miles or so and we find. And so they they evacuate and they escape from the city and uh-huh. travel for uh-huh. maybe two or three days and end up in a port town nearby. And then just they they like told the guards like oh yeah there was a a, a, a you know skeleton monster attached to the attack the other city I don't know I hope they're okay <laughs> and then just forgot about it yeah and and went on several adventures in this port city and then mm-hmm. one day come back from this port adventure. And uh, they're they're invited by like the mayor of the thing to come in, and he's like, "Oh, we've got a delegation from the Kingsguard here." And they're like, "Kingsguard, mm. the, the place with the skeletons." And they mm. they look over, and like the two people that are coming there as the delegation are somewhat sickly and maybe not a little <laughs> healthy looking, and seem oh, to be really excellent. interested in treaties about worker exchanges, and mm-hmm. and and then they suddenly start it starts clicking to them of like. Oh man, like maybe just leaving that whole city in the hands of a lich wasn't a good idea. <laughs> it's almost like that was a bad time. Oh, mm. Too late now. Yep. <laughs> How what many other cities do? are there yeah. that we can run off to? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was one of my favorite That's, ones of, of just the players are like, eh, it'll be fine. It's it'll fine. work itself out. We'll, we'll and go so, away from here. And I'm sure it's suddenly they're in like a, a massive military conflict with like an yeah. undead general who controls an entire right. city's worth of people and vampires and yeah, other just like, thinking, like, creatures. Man, like, that's yeah. a perfect way to like the party created the BBEG, like without even meaning to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Damn, that's uh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, thank you for for sharing that that story. That's a perfect example of a lot of what we're talking about here today. So it's delightful. Um, yeah, I guess any any other um, hot tips uh, for uh, our, our listeners out there on how they can uh, kind of keep keep things fresh and loose, and you know, move move alongside, uh, react to the players in such a way that uh, propels the story along, but keeps it. Um, uh, personal. Hmm. Um, one of the ones that I, I very much like people kind of have their own, uh, ideas about it, but I am a huge fan of random tables. Mm, um, okay. and the thing I tell people is, you know, if you can create a great random table library of like, what are going to, what's going to be in the pocket of like a peasant, a mook and a big bad. Um, and, and what sort of things will you find if you just start pulling books off the shelf in the local place and flipping through it? Yeah. Um, I love those random tables, not because it's supposed to just be random filler. Like I think a lot mm-hmm. of people look at that of, of like, well, I can't say he doesn't have anything in his pocket, so I'll right. roll three times on this. But I think of it more as like when you're when you really lean into the whole improvising thing um, and, and trying to improvise like straight up just improvise stories based on what you feel like the players are interested in and what would work well as a story beat these random tables serve as amazing idea seed generators Mm -hmm. Um, because you can like roll up a thing of, of three or four items. Like let's say in a, you know, in a guard's pockets, they, they whack the guard over the head, they knock him out. They start looting through his pockets. You find his weapon, you know, Mm -hmm. roll three times on the table. And if one of the things they find is like, I roll on the table and it's like, Oh, it's a, it's an old crinkled letter uh, addressed Mm. to someone named Mary Ellen. Like, (laughs) and, and, and they're like, well, what does the letter say? Yeah. And then, and then I, I can come up with something of like, 
do they feel bad about hitting like beating up this guard mm -hmm. if so mm -hmm. then that letter to mary ellen will tug on the heartstrings like a lot if they're mm -hmm. like man screw all these guys like i i, I you know we should have stabbed him instead of hitting him on the head <laughs> then it's a letter yeah. from mary ellen saying don't ever come near me again like mm -hmm. i saw what you did to that dog like i don't ever right. want to talk to you again mm -hmm. don't fucking come near me and suddenly they have a reason of like yeah these guys are bad let's really like mess them up <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's it's reinforcing what the characters like are already thinking mm -hmm. or finding what are just the perfect narrative moments of of whenever they built themselves up as like these guys are all bastards and we hate mm -hmm. all of them right. and then being and then all of a sudden except some of them are actually human and yeah. <laughs> they've got wants and desires like what maybe this guy has a mixtape mm -hmm. it's not a good one but he's got a mixtape and he's right. really passionate about it. Really, really wanting to make sure that somebody hears that. So right, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and now you're like, what is, and... what's the interesting thing of that? Of, yeah. of like, do the players would it be more interesting to 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 basically reinforce this murder spree that they're on, or to make them have second doubts about mm -hmm. themselves? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And and finding a nice way to kind of like straddle that line um, to to really make it so that like. Uh, uh, I don't feel like the DM should really, and this kind of wraps into the improv thing. I like, I don't mm -hmm. feel like the DM should ever explicitly say whether or not something is ethical or unethical. Mm. And, oh, yeah. and a lot of the improv, I feel like that makes the best storytelling is when you can improv <clears throat> it so that you're kind of tugging on the heartstrings of some players and reinforcing the beliefs of other players. And then, encouraging them by basically like giving them conflicting information to begin arguing amongst themselves in character <laughs> about whether yeah, or not yeah. the thing they're doing is ethical. Right. Like the, the, it, uh, you know, just to, to bring it back to like that guard situation of like the person who knocks him over the, knocks the guard over the head might be like, I, uh, I really think he's a jerk. Like I saw him like kicking a puppy earlier <laughs> and, and the person, they, and then the other person's like, Oh, but, but this letter to Mariella like seems like she really cares about him. Like, mm -hmm. but puppy killing is completely different than that. Yeah. I mean, we can't do that. And suddenly mm -hmm. they're having an argument about the ethics of like animal life versus human life and how much one should like judge one over the other and whether or not being part of a deep criminal conspiracy, like moves the, the ethical mm -hmm. scales at all. On right. That. Right. Um, yeah. Like, so, so that, that is like another thing of, of that I find really good with the, that really helps with the improv of, the more you can get the players to talk to each other mm, and mm. make their own inferences about what's happening, the less you have to come up with. Um, and so, so getting the players to feel like they're really invested in a specific situation by, you know, doing kind of those heartstring tugging um, can, can encourage them to act in ways that will drive the story much further than, you know, you, you hit the guard on the head. He's got three gold coins and a sword, move on to the next room. Mm -hmm. um, like having an argument about the ethical, the ethics of, of taking human life versus knocking someone out in room one of a big bad dungeon <laughs> is right yeah. for story. And mm -hmm. there's so much that you could do there. And uh, yeah. Um, so that, that's one of the, the advice that I give to people is like, don't feel, don't be afraid to play the players off each other. Mm -hmm. Find what certain characters, not the players, the characters. Um, right, right. Don't don't encourage your players to fight each other. That's a whole other. They probably situation. should not. Yeah, if you're yeah. having that situation, that's a yeah a different conversation that you need to uh, to have with your your table yeah. there. So, but yeah, like looking <laughs> but, at what what drives these different players. Like mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I liked about D and D was that it was very easy to drive specific players if they uh, were religious. Like clerics mm -hmm. was it was very easy to kind of pit them against the rest of the party of like, yo, you get a feeling like your God is, is like disproving of this action. They're like, Whoa, Ooh. hold up everyone. Hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and looking at what they, what do the individual people think? If one of them has a corpo background, then mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, saying like, Oh, uh, you know, you feel like you don't need to kill these people. You could probably bribe them because you know, this level of worker and they mm -hmm. don't get paid well enough to care about this. Right. And, and, but, Oh, but what if we, if we let them go, maybe they'll tell yeah. on us. And suddenly mm -hmm. it's another argument within the party. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, a, a lot of it, I think does come down to, um, to trying to get more out of your players, mm -hmm. like making sure that they're not the passive participants. They're the ones causing the problems. Mm -hmm. um, and not, not just having things happen to them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's great. Um, one thing that I, uh, have, have really enjoyed about the, the current campaign that I'm, I'm running is I, when we were setting up, uh, our session zero, I also made all of the players tell me either a, like a debt, 
a regret or a secret that they have. So they're creating these things for themselves, for their own characters. And, oh, I, I owe this person money or I uh, owe a favor to this person so that I can get, you know, X, Y or Z from from them. Uh, and just having those things to kind of like dangle over their heads yeah. um, uh, is, has been really great in kind of compelling the story along. Um, and again, it's like I'm not having to do too much, right? The players, they came to me with this this idea for their particular character. And I'm like, okay, well, now I'm going to take that and uh, emotionally torture you with this thing that you've given <laughs> me for a bit. So, yeah. Um, and, and then finding ways to kind of like wrap those together. Maybe, you know, this player's debt is owed to this corporation or this organization. And uh, this other player has a tie to that said organization. So how are how are they going to work together to solve this issue now? Is the player with the deck going to talk about how much money they owe to this person? Or uh, right. just kind of leaving, um, leaving room for not just inter-party conflict, but also inter-party collaboration as well, I think is, is super yeah. important. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I guess that's, yeah, the other side of the thing is that... Uh, uh, everyone all the dms like i'll always talk about you definitely want to have like all this inter-party collaboration but mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. it's kind of the other side of that coin of like yes but also inter-party conflict and <laughs> yes. drives a lot of story um but and it's cool one of the things that's neat about cyberpunk red as a system is mm -hmm. that they do have that thing you're talking about of yeah. like you know you you literally roll up by this is how many friends lovers and enemies you have in mm -hmm. night mm -hmm. city or in whatever city you're in right um and, and and those are given to the dm on session one that's mm -hmm. like yeah this is here, here are the plot hooks that you can dangle in front of me in order mm -hmm. to make me go do stuff <laughs> yeah for sure and uh i i also really like how not just you know, rolling up how many enemies or lovers or friends or whatever, but giving you options on what the status with that in, uh, that individual is. Like, how am I enemies with this person? Or right. what was the, uh, how is this relationship going? How did this relationship end? Um, is there something more that I am pursuing as a character so that the DM now can... Uh, dangle that in front of me and and make you know tie that up into a, a story as well um, yeah. it's really really fantastic i actually so i, I ran a short uh cyberpunk red uh campaign for my players and then when we did switch back over to D D and we did eberron i took a lot of those ideas from that session zero uh stuff that's in cyberpunk red and baked that into my campaign just because i oh, like neat. it's just it's just so uh, it's just so rich and rife with potential for story that yeah. Uh, yeah I mean why wouldn't you use those tools and I think most of the stuff that's in you know those uh, tables that you're rolling for your uh, life path I think it's called mm -hmm. um, yep. they can be easily adapted into other games right like yeah. it, they don't necessarily need to be a cyberpunk story just to fit in you know make to be made use of you know a corpo yeah. and this is like a noble and that and vice right. versa so yeah. yeah again yeah. i could talk forever about how <laughs> rad cyberpunk red is so <laughs> yeah. yeah and i also like that they give you the option of like if you don't like this this result then just pick the one you want it's yeah. your character like, <laughs> yep. you know you get to pick you your can life roll back. or you can just choose you know yeah pick yeah. it if you want yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny enough, when uh, when we were doing, a, I was a player in a Cyberpunk Red game, and we were rolling up um, family and friends and stuff. Uh, a bunch of us ended up rolling like zero connections, essentially. So like, oh, we're all doing the lone wolf stuff, I guess. And the GM was like, no, screw that. Like, just pick a number between one and three. That's how many connections you have, and you can spread it out however you want. I need, I need some some story fodder from you all, please. So. <laughs> Uh, it was a good time. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so talking more about some other improv things, um, there's one, one of the things that I feel like um, maybe it gets a little bit understated is that <clears throat> while there is a lot of acting in being a dungeon master or, or mm -hmm. creating these stories and running them, um, the, the, you know, there's lots of acting of like trying to be, pretend to be these characters. Uh, I think that there's a there's a lot of, of side of improv that can be interjected into um, when you're when you're playing or, or running any of these 
like any of these NPC characters that I think sometimes people will miss. Like they'll, they'll get so mm-hmm. into the idea of like, I'm trying to do this right voice or mm-hmm. I'm trying to like do these mannerisms um, that they, they miss some, something that I see in a lot of actual plays and like other people's campaigns and things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a phenomena that I, that I kind of call like the, uh, like the, the frozen NPC. Like the uh, feeling, mm-hmm. like as soon as you walked out the door, that NPC would just kind of sit there and wait yeah. for you to come back. Right. Um, and while I, I like, it's it's obviously really tough to basically like have a full life story that all of these NPCs are doing <laughs> right. uh, all the time, and you walk mm-hmm. in, you're like, oh, let me let me see what Mariella the seamstress is up to. Okay, <laughs> it's the fourth equinox and the third moon. She's getting in an argument. Like obviously, mm-hmm. that's way too much to think of. But a uh, lot, of, a lot of detail and a lot of prep, especially considering our our topic here today. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. One one easy one that I think of that I would want to like provide as a tip is um, nine times out of ten, when I run a a NPC, uh, mm-hmm. I keep in the back of my head of nine times out of ten, the NPC does not have time for this shit. and and just that that like little Mm -hmm. bit of just like oh my god i don't want to have to explain this to you guys can add so much of a nuance to that character because all Mm. you have to answer is well why don't they have time like what else do they have going on Mm. and whatever the answer to that question is can now be wrapped into their their whatever they're telling the players or trying to communicate to them of i Mm. I don't have time to explain to you like why we don't have the boots because Mm. i gotta pick up the, the the jackets and make sure those are still there like mm-hmm. i'll tell you that this little bit here's the cliff notes go off and do it but i don't have time to sit here and play 20 questions with like <laughs> right what's got, going on got with got stuff to, to, i've got other shit goes. going on yeah, yeah exactly no that's uh, that's great um i think uh yeah like you said it can be really tough to have a lot of uh, like a whole life story for the npcs just having some quick um resources or uh tricks to kind of lean on like the the npc doesn't have time for this shit maybe yeah. have a, a short table of like here are things that could be going on in a story uh, a shopkeeper's life so let yeah. me i'm gonna roll a d6 when and as they're walking in like okay cool so uh, not only do they not have time for this shit but uh, they have this, this other complication going on that they're trying to worry about or and something they, in their interpersonal life that's distracting them that's yeah. not work-related, right? And, and then and they, and they might and still need the players' help with that. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, just my point being that it like kind of changes that uh, dynamic and that interaction that the party has, the players right. have with that NPC, right? Suddenly yeah. they're not just, oh, I'm at a shop and buying boots from this guy. It's like, Oh, why? Why is the guy behind the counter so sad all of a sudden? Uh, like, what's up, man? He's like, oh, hey, yeah, I guess the, you know, boots or five bucks or whatever. And like, yeah. uh, okay, and again, they get that choice of are they going to interact with that or are they not? And if they don't, still a different dynamic than they had walking into the guy across the street who's super happy go lucky ready to help them out like hey what could i get for you you know anything that you're looking for i got etc etc like it it just changes things up and makes those interactions feel a little different yeah yeah and another trick that i that i think of of like if if the npc if it's not like oh the npc doesn't have time for this the mm-hmm. other one i think of is like well what would the npc be doing if the if the players weren't there mm-hmm. and then is there some way you can complicate it or mess it up? Like mm, if yeah. the NPC would normally be cleaning, maybe like in the <laughs> process of cleaning, they've knocked something over about 10 minutes ago mm-hmm. and now they're sweeping stuff up and it's like, Oh yeah. Like don't step over there. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of shrinking potion on the floor. And like we've lost <laughs> three customers already. Please don't. <laughs> we can't find them. And also no, that's a complication. Uh, no, I think I, I think that's that's great. And uh, it's funny. I was just watching a video from uh, Master of the Dungeon, who's talking a little bit about this as well. on uh, one of their, their latest episodes of just kind of a way to make uh, towns feel alive is like just having the NPCs doing stuff when you go into the, the shop and yeah. do a little bit of research about like what maybe that particular what does a blacksmith's life look like? What does a tanner's life look like? A cobbler, et cetera. Right? Just do small bits of research. But if all else fails, just have them be cleaning something. Like there's always something to be cleaned, right? Like right. that's a yeah. really great way to keep, make people look busy and the world lived in is just like, oh, you walk into this place and the person is wiping down the counter. 
what are yeah. they wiping? Oh, well, we'll figure it out as it goes along. So yeah, or they they brought down every glass bottle off of this shelf, and they've got mm-hmm. them lined up in a row, and they're meticulously going through each one. And then you like everyone suddenly looks over at the rogue and is like, "No, nah, you stay there. Do not pick <laughs> those." Right. Like, uh, and that yeah, also kind control. of tells you something a little bit of like flavor, you know, uh, character flavor about the NPC is that there's someone who has to line everything up and clean it in a certain way and then put it back on the shelf. And that's that's their process. And just yeah. giving those small details are a way to uh, fill characters with life that otherwise would not be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think the small things is. Uh, uh, really, really important. Just those small little details can make a world of difference that you might not notice, you know, all the time, but it over over the course of time, make your setting feel alive. Yeah. Um, so those, those small little ways of, of finding or small little details to add in just yeah. to in, distinct interactions. Yeah. And, and, and remembering those sorts of things, which is why the Trello tool helps me out Mm. so much is because if every time I improvise something about that, like, you know, oh, this shopkeeper brings down all the glass bottles and meticulously cleans them one by one, I, I, you know, will open up my Trello thing and write on there possibly might have OCD question Mm. mark. And then the next time they see them like out at a festival or something, I could, I can like open up that person and be like, okay, I see the thing there previously. Let's make a special note about how their clothes are meticulously pressed in detail Mm -hmm. and then throw a complication on it. A kid walks up and kicks some mud on them and suddenly like their favorite shopkeeper is getting in an argument with a kid. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) (laughs) but but it's completely, or it seems to them as like a completely organic organic, interaction. But all it is to me is like, I'm looking at it like, oh, this person really likes to keep things clean. Let's just Mm -hmm. make it so that things aren't clean and then have Mm -hmm. like a little argument and the players can choose to either do something or not do something. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't do something and the person like gets arrested or, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, and now they can't go to that shop for a while. Um, But yeah, just, just, yeah. Like little things like that. They, they bring so much out in these campaigns um, Mm -hmm. because if everything is coming through you as a person, you either have to be this boundless well of creativity or sort of have like fuzzy, fuzzy logic, fuzzy knowledge of like, mm-hmm. something is always going on, but it's not until you actually look at it or like ask me, ask me about it, that I'll yeah. tell you exactly what it is. Nothing yeah. exists until you uh, observe it and then it does. So, right. And something's <laughs> always happening, but we don't actually know what it is until the moment you have it. Like, uh, until you I, look I, at it. Yeah. there's one I've <laughs> talked with, talked with some other people about that I really like, which is like what basically whenever I'm making an NPC, Kind mm-hmm. of in the same way that we, when you're talking about like the um, the the bonds, friends, enemies thing, mm-hmm. I'll roll mm-hmm. something like that for the NPC. Oh but yeah, yeah. Not specify who they are. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll just I'll like have an NPC and roll it and be like, okay, this NPC has three friends and two enemies. Mm-hmm. And so the next time that the players are, this is another one of my tricks of like, there's no red herrings. Mm-hmm. If the players are tracking down some information, they mm-hmm. go into this place. It's it's a completely wrong thing. I look up the, you know, they they go to, let's say, the bakers and they're like, where were you? But I know the baker's completely innocent. I'll mm-hmm. look at my thing and see like, well, this baker has got one enemy. So mm-hmm. as soon as the baker figures out like, oh, this isn't the person that you want, then they're going to they're going to take that one enemy and be like, it's probably oh, it's this guy. Definitely though. This guy, though, it's, it's got to be him. So, and then yeah. <laughs> make it actually the person the baker has a fight with the person they were looking for. So to mm-hmm. them, they think mm-hmm. they're really smart because they went to the baker who happened to also have a fight. Had the clue that like, got them to the right spot. But yeah, it's yeah. like the baker had an enemy. We didn't know mm-hmm. who the enemy was until we ran into a situation where the baker needed to point the finger at somebody and we'll just make it the right person so mm-hmm. that they're not going on a wild goose chase. For sure. Yeah, yeah. there's a um, I can't remember where I saw it initially somewhere on the Internet. Uh, it was um, like Oh, okay. Sorry uh, for the digression here, but it was a, a meme that was uh, from Scrubs and Dr. Cox talking to JD. Um, but it was, you know, veteran DM and newbie DM. And the veteran DM is like, look, being a DM is really simple. Give the players stuff to do. And then wh- you put people in front of them and whoever they focus in on, that's the important NPC. <laughs> and that has been like my guiding, uh, like uh, guiding principle for a long time as a DM. It's like whatever the players focus in on, that's the important thing. I may have come up with this NPC that was going to give them a quest, but oh, they're talking to Boblin the Goblin in the bar. Guess what? Boblin the Goblin's got the uh, the quest that they need now so 
It doesn't matter if they don't go and talk to the mysterious dude in the corner who's watching them and judging them and and waiting for them to do something. Nope. Boblin's got the quest that they need now. So, yeah, whatever they focus on, on, that's the thing to, to lean into. Depending on how much you're willing to kind of bend your ideas or maybe compromise kind of some of your story stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I find that it also really works well with, and, you know, kind of the other side of it is I see a lot of DMs make this mistake of um, when so you introduce a, a, an NPC and the players just get the complete wrong vibe of them. Oh, like I've, seen, yeah. I've mm-hmm. seen DMs that like they'll make their own kind of like self-insert character and be like, oh no, this person's super cool. Yeah, and yeah. the party's like, I don't trust them at all. They <laughs> seem like they're up to something. And uh-huh. I see so many DMs push back and be like, no, no, no. Like They're really cool. I promise. Like they're mm-hmm. quest givers. You're going to love mm-hmm. them. They're, it's this character. And, and my... I, I made that mistake a long time ago. And what I learned very quickly was if the players think that that person's suspicious, they're suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> they're a weird person and they're yep. suspicious and it doesn't matter what you thought they were to mm-hmm. the players. Mm-hmm. They are suspicious and you can either spend all of your time fighting against that or right. try and improvise it a little bit. Like mm-hmm. if you wanted them to be nice and so they start pretending to be nice and presenting as nice. And then the players thought they were suspicious. Well, that character is now suspicious but keeps pretending like they're nice for some reason mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and try and come up with why that might be. Uh, and it, it yeah, it, it's that thing of like, you're not necessarily doing the, the never say no to your players. Mm-hmm. It's more of the, if you screw up in the way that you're trying to present one of these players or one of these mm-hmm. NPCs and the players get a complete wrong idea of what that NPC is about, just roll with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they assume they're right. It's it's easier than trying to fight against their preconceptions, <laughs> and there'll always be that that thing in the back of their head that's like, I don't know. I feel like they're still suspicious. It's yeah. they've gave us four and, quests, and like we live in their house now, but they still seem suspicious. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, just the, I mean, the other side of that is that you can kind of subvert subvert the players' expectations trail them along and make them think that they're finding out some secrets about this NPC that uh, that they are certain is up to no good and oh it turns out that you know no they were just hiding something that's very innocent they just don't like talking about it um, something that, like that, that is like, actually, and now yeah. they've they've trampled all over this NPC's personal business and well and, you lived in their house but guess what you're on the street now bucko because right. <laughs> you don't yeah. you don't you don't tread into that that territory so yeah and that's that's the <laughs> other side of it like you, yeah. you can do one or both but it has to be a balancing to, act because yeah. if you do too much of one then they'll they'll be like well you know i think he's suspicious therefore we kill him right now yep. let's get yep. it out of the way <laughs> exactly it's and uh yeah it's very much a balancing act so yeah. yeah a lot of dming is it's it's yeah. that balancing oh, act sure making sure that everyone feels represented at the table, making sure that they're all having fun, but also mm-hmm. making sure that they don't feel like they, the game is playing itself, you know, mm-hmm. that, that the, mm-hmm. their act, their actions, they need to have intention behind them. And then the, the world will react in a way that makes sense. That, that basically like the affordances that you're giving them, they can actually exercise them and, and, you know, influence the world in ways that they then have mirrored back to them. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And that's, um, I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago as well. Is that like I I struggle? I play a lot of D anD D, but I've I've struggled to play through the five E um, like the published adventures um, mm-hmm. because I feel like like they'll just those just kind of happen without regardless of the 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 players' actions, right? Like right. the story is set in motion. It could be anybody that you drop in. That same story is going to happen, or at least you know pretty similar, right? Um, which is a, a huge part of why I have just completely stepped away from the published adventures and just write my own stuff because it's so much more interesting when the players are the ones that are the uh, the driving force of the narrative. Their decisions are leading to other decisions and affecting the world around them. And that is an interesting story to me. Um, yeah. Not as much of like, oh, hey, the dragon cult's trying to raise Tiamat. So what are you going to do about it? Someone, <laughs> you know? Hopefully someone will help. Really yeah. could be anyone. Is there an adventure anywhere? <laughs> and it just doesn't right. matter who gets slotted in. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. And that's the same reason why I started moving away from the published adventures too, was mm-hmm. that, that feeling of like, it's just kind of a generic adventure. Anyone yep. can be there, but it's much more interesting writing stories where you, the first question you're answering is, 
but why is it happening to this person specifically? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. like why are or why are these the only people that can do something about it? Or mm-hmm. why are they the mm-hmm. only ones that care? Uh, like all, all sorts of things, like making it, making sure that, like we were talking about earlier, making sure it feels personal that there's a reason why these people, like, why these characters should feel like we have to do it because if we don't do it, who will? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. is it's such a powerful emotion to drag onto them because they get that sense of like I we are doing good, we all have our own reasons for it, but in the end, like we're doing, we we have to do this thing because if we don't. Who else is going to do yeah, it? There's no, no one else. One else. Yeah. We have to, it, it has to be us. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it can really add a lot of that tension of it, knowing that the, the players like knowing kind of themselves and as the characters, like if we fail, there will be consequences for, you know, so many people uh, for us, mm-hmm. we'll be dead. So it won't mm-hmm. matter. Right. It but won't matter for, for us. What else? Everyone yeah. else is totally screwed though. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, incredible. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of really great wisdom, uh, Artemis today. So thank you for, for sharing that. Anything that you feel like we, um, we haven't, uh, touched on that you would want to, uh, to mention as far as your own advice for our listeners? Um, I guess the one last thing that I would mention that again, kind of, it comes back to the improv, the storytelling thing is Mm -hmm. for, for new DMs, experienced DMs or people who just maybe don't use as much improv as they feel like they could or feel like they want to, Mm -hmm. um, don't, don't be afraid to try doing the improv section. Like try, try making a session where, you know, you've got an idea of, of these are Mm -hmm. some things they could do, but then just wing it. And, yep. and see what happens and, and don't be afraid of doing it because it, number one, it's a lot, it's, it's not as difficult as you might think. Mm-hmm. Um, because really what you're doing is just trying to, trying to come up with like two answers, like what would be narratively interesting to happen at this point? Mm-hmm. And then what's something that reasonably like this care, this NPC would want to do. Um, but the, the, so that's like basically the, the, the only work that you have to put forward is answering those two questions. Mm-hmm. But a lot of fear I see people having about trying to adapt more of an improv first DMing approach is they worry like, okay, but what if I improv something bad mm-hmm. or what if I mess up? Like, what if I I'm improving and I forget like, Oh, wait, that's right. The Baker's name was, uh, you know, Mary Ellen and not Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. And now I've just like, you know, talked about this character, Mary Jane. And one of the characters is like, yeah, d- don't you mean Mary Ellen? And, and it's these DMS like have this intense fear. I mm-hmm. find that, that, mm-hmm players are going to call them on it and be like, that's not right. Or mm-hmm. your improv is bad on that or something. And my response to that is like, it's a completely understandable fear because players will love to be able to jump onto any inconsistency and mm-hmm. try and imply something about it. And when they do let them imply something about it and then just sort of sit back and be like, yes, you're right. Isn't that <laughs> interesting? Mm-hmm. <Yeah>. And, and <laughs> it, it opens up this idea of, well, shoot, like what happened to Mary Ellen? Does everyone know this person is Mary Jane now? Are mm-hmm. we in an alternate universe? And, <laughs> and just let them go wild with their theories and and, mm-hmm. and and ideas of what could it possibly be that is not the DM screwed up? Yeah. And then just pick one of those answers and roll yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, I think just, you know, just develop a good poker face and yeah. uh, never let the players know that you've made a mistake. So Yeah. And those, those <laughs> two words. You know, all, all you listeners, repeat after me, just the key words, just sit back and go, hmm, you're right. That is interesting. <laughs> uh, it doesn't give any implication whether or not they're, they're, you know, whether or not they're on base or off base. It's just mm-hmm. you're kind of saying like, yes, that does yeah. seem like an interesting thing for your character. Mm-hmm. What do they yeah. think about it? God, that is really weird. <laughs> yeah. And then, I, yeah, a really great um, point there as well is to put it back on the player. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, that is interesting. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. What do, you, what do you think that means? What does yeah. your character think that means? Do, mm-hmm. Does your character feel like they misremembered Mary Ellen's name or is your character think something maybe more sinister is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, well, there have awesome. been there have been talk of shapeshifters in this town. Could it possibly be one of those or yeah, what, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever direction you want to go. The play, honestly, the players are probably, as soon as you mentioned shapeshifters, the first time that anything seems out of place is shapeshifter, hundred yeah. percent guarantee you that's a shapeshifter. Doppelganger right there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like that Mad Max yeah. mean, that's a shapeshifter. Mm. <laughs> Always a shapeshifter. 
everything is everything is a mimic. It's uh, Schrodinger's yep. mimic. Everything's a mimic until you open the box and collapse the waveform. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I think that's basically kind of my uh, my my intro to kind of how to do that improv first DMing style and mm-hmm. and sort of the things that I, I feel like it really brings out, like that player first focus, which is necessity in cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like it, it tell it it helps tell high fantasy, you know, 5e or, or uh, Pathfinder games, it, it really helps with the telling of those stories so that it doesn't feel like you're constantly sitting around in stuffy rooms listening to kings and their advisors <laughs> tell you how important right. it is that this dragon is slain. Um, and it's more about like the individual stories of the, of the people living in this world. And if that's something that sounds interesting to, to the listeners and stuff, I very much recommend trying that improv first approach to, uh, to the DMing. Uh, make it up. And if there's inconsistencies, then, uh, yeah, just hmm it away yeah. and see what your characters come up with. Awesome. Well, again, Artemis, thank you so much for, for joining uh, today and for delivering your, your advice and your, your wisdom to myself and, uh, and our listeners as well. I'm definitely going to take some of these points and go back to my own game and uh, just kind of wing it. So we'll see. Uh, see what <laughs> <Awesome>. happens. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. Like, yeah. This has been tons of fun. I always love talking to tabletop games with people and, you're a good person to talk to. So, All right. well, thank, thank you. Thank been you. Very much a pleasure. Uh, for sure. Yeah. And I definitely want to let, um, you know, let you tell our listeners how they can find out about, uh, about you and about cyberpunk tales from the Oasis. So I'll shut up sure. for a minute, but, uh, yeah, where, where can we find you? Uh, well, we can, you can find us at talesfromtheoasis.com. We've got a full website. Um, we are being hosted right now on Podbean. So we're po- talesfromtheoasis.podbean.com, but all those links are on our website. Um, we've also got a Discord if you happen to be a fan and want to jump in and, and chat with the cast or uh, just generally talk about all things cyberpunk. We've got a very fun channel called uh, hashtag is this cyberpunk where we <laughs> post various things and people talk about whether or not it's cyberpunk, dystopian, sci-fi or just sad. Hmm. Uh, and uh, could be any of those things. Really. Lot, lots of fun, lots of fun conversations with them. Um, but Tales from the Oasis is the uh, the podcast. We run Cyberpunk Red. They are tight 30-minute episodes that are very musical. Um, we try to aim for more of a style of a radio play than an actual play, but there's still a bit of dice rolling here and there and some side conversations. But generally, we, we try and keep everything really tightly edited, no long pauses, no weird parts where we're looking up rules or things like that. Uh, we want to respect your time, and uh, we you know, want to respect ours. So we make sure we have everything very tightly edited. Um, we are on, I think, episode 17 now as of the time of recording. Uh, but we have a couple of other small side things. And then we've got a small uh, mini series that we're releasing within the next week or two. Um, so keep an eye out for that. We're also on Twitter at Oasis Cyberpunk. Um, and uh, that's a great place to, to talk with us if you're interested in reaching out to uh um, collaborate with us or just interested in talking with us about it, uh, talking about our podcast or give us any ideas uh, at Oasis Cyberpunk on Twitter is where to find us. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, again, thanks for, for coming on today and, and listeners definitely check out um, their, their show as uh, fantastic. As I said earlier, I don't know how you could have missed it so far or how dare you miss it so far if you have. <laughs> um, it, it is a really great time. And uh, yeah, again, great, great chatting with you today, Artemis. And um Thank you for, for coming on and listeners, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, if you have enjoyed any of what uh, we've talked about today or found any of it useful, um, you can leave comments, ratings, reviews, uh, whatever you can, wherever you get your podcast. Reach out to me uh, on Twitter at 19 hits the dragon. Um, but feel free to, uh, or encourage, I should say, to, uh, uh, to uh, hit up Artemis as well and uh, let, let, let him know if, uh, you know, what, what you uh, liked about the episode today. Um, but the best way you can help the show, as always, listeners, is to go out and tell 19 of your closest friends. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Thanks again to uh, to my guest today. Everybody take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and uh, we'll see you all next time when 19 hits the dragon. Bye-bye. <laughs>